Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, if you are a business owner, you need to listen to this show. So make sure you subscribe and smash that button so you get these information because this, the gentleman I'm having on is going to drop some golden nuggets you're not going to want to miss. He's the CEO of an amazing company. He's an investor. He's a speaker. He's a Swiss army knife of branding. He is the man. Eric, welcome to the show, my friend. How Thank are you? Doing? doing great. You know, I love everything you're doing. Um, ever since I knew that we were going to be getting in touch, uh, I've been following you, stalking you, and <laughs> loving, loving everything that you're doing. And I love how the simple approach you take to something that a lot of people think is so difficult. So talk to us a little bit about where you come from and how you became the CEO that you are today. Sure. Um, I guess that that could go all the way back to my childhood, but, uh, you know, loving parents that pushed me. But uh, at the same time, I, I would say in terms of career path, graduated in 2008, which feels more relevant today than ever, because I got out, was like, I'm going to be in real estate. Uh, got my real estate license and went into commercial real estate a week before Lehman Brothers went bankrupt and the start of the Great Recession. So I uh, made $350 my first year out of college, uh, which is just for those that don't live in LA, not enough to live in LA. So went into debt, tried to, was scrambling to figure out what to do and ended up launching an online music company that was basically business coaches for business coaching for musicians. And that was in 2009. Uh, somehow through some, like my, I was in a band in high school, my drummer's dad knew some people that decided to invest a million dollars in this company and uh, was off to the races. And that Built that for two years, hired a CEO to take it over, then built consecutively two e-commerce sites that I built and sold. Uh, the first one after about a year and a half, the second one after about a year. Um, and the second one was called Ellie. That's still up and running. It's a women's activewear brand. And then realized that I had figured out this online business and this whole new paradigm of internet marketing and online businesses and how to run them. And so I started getting a lot of job offers to go run marketing at a bunch of different companies, even though I was a founder and CEO of others. And I didn't want to take a job. So I started consulting. And that's when I saw that the whole marketing ecosystem was broken. And that's something that sat with me is like my businesses before Hawk were built on this is a cool idea. We should try to make it happen. And they did okay. And they did well. Like it's not like that was the end of the world. But Hawk is by far my biggest success. And what it was, was it was born from frustration. It was born from, I would, I was consulting for a bunch of brands trying to help them grow. And then I'd try to help them find people to hire to execute or hire agencies. And I just found that 99% of marketers and agencies out there are full of shit. And the few that are any good tend to get really expensive, want long contracts, high minimum, something that makes them hard to work with. So the end result is if you're not like a fortune 2000 company, you're probably working with a bullshit agency that doesn't know what they're actually doing. And I thought that was ridiculous. Like, why does that need to be the case? Like, this isn't that complicated. You mentioned trying to simplify marketing, which I actually think is in a lot of ways simple, at least the overall framework. And most people don't understand it. But, uh, and so I decided to hire my own little SWAT team to try to help the companies I was working with. No plans on building something big, but basically started with seven people, an email marketer, a Facebook marketer, a search marketer, a web designer, fractional CMO, et cetera. And went back to these companies and just said, hey, everything's a la carte, month to month, cheaper than hiring in-house. But now you can just spin up the team that you need when you need it. And ebb and flow as your needs change. And that's how we started. Fast forward now, it's been eight and a half years. We're 250 plus people. We've marketed over 4,000 brands uh, successfully. And we've built a venture arm. So we have a second fund now. It's a $50 million venture fund. We have a financing arm so we can help our uh, clients with working capital and making sure that as they grow, they have the cash reserves they need. We have just launched our AI tool, which is continuing this sort of mission of making great marketing accessible. We benchmarked 10,000 different companies marketing, put it into a system where it plugs into all your marketing channels, tells you what's working, what's not, what's growing, what's shrinking, as well as how it's performing against your industry. So you know, is it me? Am I doing something wrong? Or is it just the world's slowing down like this year where the average e-commerce site is down 20% in revenue year over year? Because last year was such an anomalous crazy situation. 
now this year, everyone's kind of come back down to earth. So people are panicking because in a vacuum, that's terrible. You're shrinking. That's not good in business. But when you know it's literally the entire world, you go, okay, so I shouldn't be scrambling to try to fix this necessarily. I should more probably adapt and figure out how to work with it. And that's the kind of stuff that this allows you to do. So, All right, so how did you come up with the Hawk name? I uh, grew up in a small town called Ojai in California. It's a little mountain town by Santa Barbara and always loved red-tailed hawks. And, and when I was seven, a, a Native American chief up there told me that uh, red-tailed hawks were my spirit animal, were, they were watching over me. And so I, it always stuck with me as a kid. And so when I went to name the company, I was going to name it some other names that were really clever and creative. And a friend of mine just said, just keep it simple. Like, don't, it was good advice. And so that's where Hawk Media came from. And then the last thing I've read to note is we also published the Hawk Method, our book, which is really just trying to simplify modern marketing 101. And like, here's the overview of how you can understand all this stuff. All right. Now, like I said, you know, a lot of people that, I, that are going to watch this are veterans or veterans entrepreneurs. And a lot of us, when we get, when we're in the military, we're taught don't stand out. We're taught everybody wears the same color. Everybody shows up at the same time. And then when we get out, we know we realize, wait a minute, in order for us to be successful, a lot of us, we have to learn to be different. Yep. And so I think marketing is a lot of, is about being different. Like I had Steve Sims on last week. Or, and, we, well. and we were talking about, you know, if, you're, if, if your companies are sending out emails, you should be sending out postcards. So sometimes, you know, being different is what sets you apart. So when somebody starts a company and don't have a lot of money to start with marketing, where do you start? So I actually think being different can help, but I think people actually usually chase that to their own detriment because a lot of times the things people are doing, they're doing because they work. And so the example there, postcards versus email. Postcard costs what? I don't know what a cent, what it costs to send a piece of mail right now, like 36 cents or 40 cents, whatever it is. An email costs less than a penny. So you're going to 40x the cost to reach someone in, at scale. That becomes really significant. So like again, in the right situation, it can still make sense. Direct mail definitely is a strategy. But there's a reason. Email marketing, it's funny. You always hear that everyone emails. No one reads emails. It's the death of email. And in, I've been doing this for, what, 15, 20 years now, and I haven't seen any decline in email marketing. Nothing's changed. It hasn't gotten better. It hasn't gotten worse. It did get better during the pandemic, but now we're back to kind of where it was pre-pandemic and where it was 10 years ago. So you have to be careful chasing shiny objects because I actually think a much better piece of advice in marketing is the new shiny thing that you think is going to differentiate you because a lot of marketing is actually scalable, repeatable things that work. Up until... And still this year, it's just, it's more of a tracking issue than a performance issue. Google and Facebook have been the best marketing channels for a decade. So TikTok is starting to come up and be interesting. But if you were chasing shiny objects, you probably tried to do something in VR. Then you tried to use Snapchat. And then you tried to use this and that. All these other companies where actually probably your money was best spent on Google and Facebook. And so that doesn't mean once in a while you shouldn't spend a small portion of your money on things that differentiate you, but a lot of your marketing should go to what's repeatable and scalable because that's how you build a business. And, you know, that, you know, my friend Gary Vaynerchuk, just, mm -hmm. he just talked about uh, yesterday was, you know, in 2022, uh, Facebook, even though people think it's dying, you need to be, you know, Facebook, you need to be on. And also TikTok, you know, he said like, and LinkedIn, those are like his top three yep. that he's that people are actually going to gain traction, even though a lot of people think Facebook is dying. He still says it's probably one of the best investments as a small business that you can actually do, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's that's what's funny. So Facebook specifically, like TikTok is up and coming, so it just hasn't gotten there yet. It is though, like it's very close. A lot of companies are doing really well on TikTok advertising now, and we have a lot of clients that are doing really well. But Facebook, what changed is Apple is in direct, like we're talking military, Apple's in direct war with Facebook because Apple wants to launch their own advertising platform. So what they did in April of 21 last year is they cut off Facebook's ability to track on Apple, on iPhones. Well, 80% of traffic on Facebook is on iPhones. So 80% of their traffic is now untrackable, which was how they, all, they report all their uh, performance. At the same time, their CEO and their entire leadership team stopped focusing on the social media platform and started focusing on meta and the metaverse. So I, I hate to say it, but a lot of smart people were not looking at their core business 
And so that core business went, oh, well, we can't track it anymore. So traditionally, Facebook reports on a 28-day window of when someone clicks an ad, meaning we're going to show you over the next 28 days after they click your advertisement how they perform. And so for e-commerce, you see over the course of 28 days how many people went from clicking that to actually buying something. And with e-commerce specifically, but in business in general, this is a really important marketing fact. Most people don't purchase right when you present your company to them. And people forget that. It's logic. Everybody, when I say that, goes, yeah, of course. But they all look at their marketing and go, oh, I spent $10,000 today on Facebook. How much did I make? Like, Because you have a spreadsheet. That's how people start looking at it. But that's not how it works. You spend $10,000 a day. You make that money back over the course of the next few months. And the half-life of that is probably somewhere between three weeks and three months. So just use... You know, if you're in a, if you're e-commerce and products, if you're around a hundred dollar price point, just imagine it's about four weeks, which is what Facebook used to report on. Now, Facebook can't report on that; it doesn't have the tracking, so it dropped it down to one week. But it reports it based on an algorithm they created that assumes what the ret returns are, so it's not even accurate. And so the problem with that is when you are advertising, you're getting all of a sudden your reports are showing a one week window instead of a four week, and it does accelerate up. It's not like more people purchase in the first week than they do in the next three weeks. So the problem is your, your reported returns on Facebook now look horrible. They look way worse because that four weeks to one week shrink. And so that's where a lot of people this past year went, oh my God, Facebook's falling through the floor, cut it off. It's not working anymore. Facebook's dying. They cut themselves off. In turn, it was actually working. It was just not measuring properly. So all of a sudden, their revenue starts dropping, and they have no idea why because Facebook said they weren't doing anything. But now we don't have any revenue, so now our business is declining. And that literally happened to the entire Shopify ecosystem. So the entire Shopify ecosystem, which is a million stores or more, they have declined on average 20% year over year. And a lot of it is self-inflicted. A lot of it is we cut off our ads and we've seen it. We've seen, we have all this reporting because of our AI dashboard. We have 10,000 companies marketing data. We can see that people are pulling back and how that affected everything. On top of that, you're dealing with a comparison to a year 2021 where COVID was still a thing. There was stimulus checks going out. There was tons of money. And frankly, I think a lot of people held the money in 2020 to see what happened. But in 2021, people got confident things were gonna open up and spending went crazy. And now we're back to 2022. 2021 was an anomalous year, but how most people measure business growth is year over year. So they're looking at last year, which was crazy. Then they look at this year and we're down from 21 to 22 for a lot of companies. FedEx just said they're down $300 million in their consumer shipping department for the United States in revenue. Today, they said that. So you have all these things that are indicators of year over year. They might've been up 500 million last year, but now that they're down 300 million this year, the world's falling apart. And that causes a lot of people to hold up. And so back to what Gary Vaynerchuk is saying, I totally agree. And we do a lot of work together. Um, TikTok, Facebook, in LinkedIn all have the ability to go viral. Facebook less so, but TikTok and LinkedIn, you can still get a lot of traction uh, and kind of go viral. TikTok, it's crazy. I had a video I posted of a friend releasing his flying car. I had no followers on TikTok. I think I literally had a hundred followers and it went viral. That video has almost 70 million views and I now have 200,000 TikTok followers. So Things can go crazy on TikTok if you post the right thing. The thing about that, though, from a marketing strategy, if you're just getting started, is spend like 10% of your marketing efforts on stuff like that. Because the problem is most of the time it doesn't just go that way. So trying to build a business off going viral is like just buying lottery tickets to be successful. It's like, yeah, it can happen, but probably not. Yep. And I know I, I was talking to somebody on, on um, that works with Facebook and, and the inner workings, and they're saying, yeah, we changed the algorithm that now instead of, you know, seeing the people that you used to love to see, you're only going to see 60% of the people that you used to see, but yep. you're going to be seeing 40% new ads. Yep. So that means, you know, you're, if you put spend money on ads, they're going to start seeing it. It's going to start going out a lot more. Yep. Right. So they have to, their revenue decline. They have to find ways to make money. No. All right. So now, you know, one thing I love, love about you and, and I want to say thank you once again for coming on. I'm truly humbled and grateful. Um, I love branding. I'm a big branding guy. Um, I love anything to do with branding, but I'm a big sports guy. Like uh -huh. I, I was, I grew up in the eighties. So I was a Michael Jordan guy. Nice. And Michael Jordan showed up at, at the uh, podium wearing an Adidas jumpsuit and Adidas sneakers People yep. would lose their minds because he is known as Air Jordan. He is known as Jump Man. 
he's known as the face of was the face of Nike. Yep. So talk to us about you know building a brand and how you are your brand. Yeah, brand has to do with alignment and consistency. Um, and so the thing that people miss is like a brand isn't built overnight. It's built over a long time of delivering in a certain consistent way. It's what you're known for good and bad. So if, you know, the like in, al in alignment, I say that because branding has a lot to do with trust. What do I trust you're going to deliver because you could deliver it consistently or because other people that you align with deliver that? And so why the Jordan Nike thing was so huge in there, Jordan is Jordan was, you know, the top athlete of his time. Nike made athletic clothes and athletic shoes. And so the assumption was if I wear Jordans, I'll play like Mike. Like that's the, it was the shoes that were helping him at least. And it was the shoes that the top athlete in the world picked. So at least it, you know, they're obviously good. Like that, that was the whole concept there. It's pretty simple, but they also had to deliver good shoes. Cause if, you know, it, who was it that, um, what shoe company they went out and the guy immediately broke his ankle that was being sponsored by them. I just read this story. It was another shoe company that they sponsored a, an athlete. Yeah. He went out and played with him, broke his ankle that day. And it was like, yeah, that, that didn't go well. Like that was it. Um, oh, it was and one. That's what it was. And one that tried, you talked about like the, you know, street basketball brand that they sold and went on. I, I don't know if they went under, but they, they got out of it, but their one foray into shoes. They tried to launch shoes. The guy went out on the court um, and broke his ankle, their first athlete. And uh, so they didn't, they did not stick with shoes. So again, that's why what I say is branding is good and bad because and one held that shoe brand of like, yeah, don't wear those shoes. Um, yeah. And so it's with anything, it's again, it's that third party kind of validation combined with what you consistently deliver. So like I always like to use an example is like McDonald's. McDonald's was basically the poster child of the obesity, obesity epidemic when it started really getting talked about whatever 20 years ago. And yeah. so to this day, I'd say McDonald's has a brand of being fast, consistent, tasty if that's what you're looking for, but also makes you fat. These are all things that have to do with the McDonald's brand because it's what they consistently delivered for a long time and what they're known for. It also has to do with what the conversation about you is. So again, that's where third-party validation comes in. If the press is talking about you a certain way, like Uber bro culture, you, talk, you heard all about Uber having a bro culture. I'm sure there were aspects of it because it was coming from places that were real but that became what they were known for. There's probably, you know, things are much more dynamic than Uber is just a bro company, but you know, like there's a lot more going on, but at the same time, what the world talks about is what becomes your brand too. Even on a small scale, your community talks about, et cetera. And so a lot of times that again, comes from sort of the extreme parts of things you deliver where it's really good or really bad. Zappos became known for the best customer service, not only because they had great customer service, but it's all they talk about too. So when I talk about being on here, Great marketing accessibility. We want to be the best at what we do, but super easy, nimble, and flexible to work with. That's what we become known for because we talk about it and then we deliver on it. And that's important. But that is exactly like part of this is just keeping the conversation. When we talk to the press, when I'm on a podcast, when I am out and about talking about our brand, all we talk about is that we're the best at what we do, really easy to work with. Best at what we do, really easy to work with. And part of that is also keeping it concise. My favorite example of this, frankly, and it has nothing to do with my political affiliation. I'm not speaking to that. But a great example that everybody knows is make America great again. There was no actual, like nobody looked at the substance behind it, I should say. No one, like 99% of people don't read a president's actual policies. And let's be real, 99% of people don't believe them anyways, even if they do. So yeah. it wasn't anything to do with Trump's policy that's going to make America great again. He's just going to make America great again. And you repeat it over and over again. And people start going, yeah, we want Trump because he's going to make America great again. And I don't like where it is now. And he's going to make it great again because we were great. And it's the people that align with that start to resonate with. Same thing goes for every brand. What are you talking about? What are other people saying you're going to do or you do do? And how do you continue to perpetuate that and repeat it over and over and over and over again for years so that when other people talk about you, they regurgitate it. When people think of you, that's what pops into their head. And that becomes a great you know, self-fulfilling prophecy of how you can be successful, assuming that brand is good. And that's something, you know, I, I, I grew up in Jersey, but I lived in the South for many, many years. And of course, they're in the South, you know, every Saturday, it's, it's a religion. College football is a big religion down South. But we would all go to Chick-fil-A because not only did they have great food, but their customer service 
was a, amazing and it's a beyond reproach. And every time I go past any Chick-fil-A, they're always packed. Yep. And and I think it's because that they like to say they do what they say, but they also talk about their customer service in all their advertising. So they're actually doing what they're saying. Is that something like what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Because it's again, it's what you talk about and you have to deliver on it. Because if you, you know, you can talk about you make the best products, but if everybody's like, yeah, but your products break immediately, like it, you can only say it so much before the noise of the your customer base catches up too. Like you have to deliver to some extent. What I will say though is you do get a little forgiveness. People want to confirmation bias is one of the most powerful things in the world, meaning people want to confirm their own existing beliefs. That's what they really want to. So if you believe a company's great, you're going to look for reasons why it's great. If you believe a company has great customer service like Zappos, you're going to look for good. It, you're going to assume it has good customer service. And if something's off, you're going to be like, I'm sure they're great. I just had a bad experience. Versus if you believe a company has a bad customer service and you have a good experience, you're like, well, it must have been a one-off. Like people really want to confirm their bias. And so you see that a lot with political arguments. People believe this, so they won't hear anything else because they believe this and then everything's going to confirm it. And so it's the same thing again with companies. If you get tell people enough and get into their head enough that something they should believe something and they start to believe it, they're going to then start to confirm that. Again, this is kind of a dangerous tool in human psychology. So, you, you know, great power comes great responsibility in that sense. But it is how branding works. It's partially do actually delivering on it and partially setting up that confirmation bias that they're going to expect you to deliver on it. But again, it doesn't take that for a company that wants to sustain. You can only get away so long not delivering on the things you say you're going to deliver on. Like it doesn't work that long. And so you have to actually deliver on the things you say you're going to do. Now, for for me, like I'm a, I'm a guitar player. I'm the world's okayest guitar player. Got two um, sitting right there. But Same I, deal. <laughs> I bought some some stuff from Sweetwater. It's a it's a um, guitar place, and when they delivered it, they delivered that. They delivered picks. They delivered so much stuff that I yep. was overwhelmed. And now, anytime even somebody says, "Hey, and I, I'm talking about guitar," I'm like, "Do you know who Sweetwater is?" So yep. I think we, you know, even like Steve Simpson, when he does something, he makes sure. He promises one thing and then yeah. over delivers. Yeah, which that that's always a great tactic. Over delivering, under promising and over delivering is a great, great thing to do in business. Okay, so now we are, like I said, we're um, in, the brand, in, a, in a brand new world. You know, since I started the podcast, it's been two years. Everything has changed. Digital has changed. So talk to us about what the new landscape of business is like in 2022. So that's the, again, I think that that's the sort of fallacy of the world is that everything changes so fast. I think like individual tactics on these platforms change. For example, Facebook and Instagram are now a lot of ways copying the TikTok algorithm. Yeah. So, so the way you target on Facebook the, or the way that you organically reach people on Facebook now is way more based on their interests than it is on their social graph. Meaning it's not about who they follow or who they're friends with, but it's about what have they shown interest in. And then they start showing them other things that they might be interested in because it's worked so well for TikTok, Instagram and Facebook. Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And frankly, Instagram and Facebook's organic algorithms have been shit for a while because it's yeah. not quite social graph. You can't reach your friends either. You don't see your friends post. You just see kind of this hodgepodge of bullshit. Hopefully they start figuring it out. But that's like some shifts that are happening. Still, though, from an overall I need to grow my business standpoint, Facebook and Google are still the best platforms to do it on. And bar none, and it's still good to do email marketing. I'd say SMS marketing, text message marketing is also very powerful now. And it, it wasn't really legal to about three years ago. So now that you know the legality of it, it's very similar to email marketing from a legal perspective. You have to get permission and get their phone number, but you can do a lot there in terms of nurturing your, your customers and staying in touch with your potential customers, et cetera. Again, purchase cycle, one of the most important things to remember. If it takes someone four weeks to buy something from the time they see an ad to when they purchase, during that four weeks, make sure you're following up with them. Email marketing, SMS, content, these are things that are really important. The book, we talk about the three principles of marketing are awareness, nurturing, and trust. Awareness, how do you get your brand out there to new potential customers? Nurturing, what do you do once they're aware of you to actually get them to be a customer? And then after their customer, what do you do to get them to come back? A lot of companies 
you know, someone buys, they never talk to them again. So continuing that conversation is important. What also people miss is merchandising. Your company has to be set up to have repeat purchases because getting customers is expensive. So yeah. you have to, whether it's the individual products consumables, they buy more and more and more, or you have a bunch of other products they would buy once they like your first product. You need to keep giving people more. Nike comes out with a new model of their shoe every six months of yeah. every shoe they have. And it's like, I guess I need the newest and hottest thing. So that's really important. And then the last piece, trust, which is what we just dove in deep, is branding. How do you build your brand? How do you get third-party validation, whether it's referrals, testimonials, word of mouth, press, influencers, et cetera. So looking at that, that is literally, that hasn't changed. Like that overall framework of awareness, nurturing, and trust is how marketing has worked for you know thousands of years. Now, how you execute on that, the tactics using which platforms, that shifts slowly. It doesn't shift as fast as people think. Things come on the market. There's Be Real now, which is the newest thing high school kids are using. And TikTok was the newest thing two years ago. And before that, again, it's 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 Snapchat before that. And it was, you know, there's probably some other platforms I'm even that are dead now that I'm forgetting about, but there was also Instagram and then Facebook before that, MySpace before that. And that was the digital landscape, let alone all the other things that you were doing, you know, in terms of getting on publishers and getting on like, you know, AOL marketing and TV, radio, pod, podcasts, as we talked about, a big one now. These are all things that are all tools in the tool belt, but usually what is working at its core does actually carry on for quite a while and it dies slowly. It's not like TV overnight went away and TV marketing still works in a lot of ways. That's why you still, if you turn on your TV, you're still going to see commercials from companies that know what they're doing. Like same thing with radio, et cetera. So it's not this crazy, I have to stay on top of everything and see where the ball is moving. Now, what you do need to know, and that's why we built the platform we did, is how is the market shifting and how are we shifting over time on our returns on these things? Because you have to act accordingly, spend accordingly, et cetera. But in terms of like, what's the newest, hottest thing? I'd actually caution, like NFTs were the newest, hottest thing last year. Yep. Probably a waste of effort right now. Yeah. So. All right. So now before we head on, because I want to, because uh, you started talking about things, I've realized, and I'm starting to see it, people want to get behind a mission. People want to get behind a company that is trying to change change the world or trying to help people. So I want to thank our sponsors, which was me. Um, I want to thank people like um, David Meltzer. Um, I just had Mr. Jeff Lerner on. And because they've been pushing our products, we sold out of all of our coffee is sold out. All of our T-shirts, all of our hats, all of our books are sold out. I can't get any more for a little while. Um, because we have a mission of saving lives. And we for everything that we sell, T-shirts, hats, books, whatever, 100% of, of our proceeds go to help veterans struggling with PTSD and homelessness. So if you guys are interested in books, hats, coffee, whatever you like, I'll get the info. So, you know, talk to us about how companies now are looking to find companies that have a mission statement, not just to sell shit. Yep. I totally agree. Um, it's, how do I put it? People buy products or services and good products or good services. So that's really the core of what matters. What are you actually selling is what matters. Just to be blunt, like all this other stuff is noise. Marketing is noise. You, if you don't have a good product or service, marketing's a waste of your energy because like it's just it's not going to go anywhere you can't market yourself out of a bad product and so that's at the core after that there's all these other things one of those things is how do i give people a good feeling after they purchase and so we talk about impact and mission and the like what what you're doing for the world and that's like a mission statement's different like our mission great you know accessibility to great marketing like that's that's our mission statement and that's great that's impact we we find pride in that our team can get rally around that our, the way we build the business can rally around that. Some people that'll resonate with, but not all our clients care that that's our mission. They, they just want, you know, it, it helps, meaning like that we're accessible and that we do great work helps. But their mission for hiring us is a lot of times I want to grow my business. Yeah. It's not because I need you accessible. And we have a lot of clients that are big companies that don't need the accessibility factor. We have a lot of people that just want to check a box and don't really care that if we're great or not, like honestly. So it's not necessarily that it, our mission aligns with theirs, but impact, I would say, is important, which is it's a great way to make people almost have the opposite of buyer's remorse. They buy something from you and then you let them know that thank you for making us successful because we've been successful. We're doing all these good things for the world that also align with our brand. 
And I think that's a part that people really need to be careful of is um, if you're going to have a mission, like when you think about brand, think about um, in the way it's another part of the brand conversation is sort of the reason people buy your product or service that everyone buys something. Everything you buy is about an aspiration. And what I mean by that is if I didn't need anything, like I am totally content and happy right now with everything I have and everything I'm doing, I will not buy a single thing because, and I, what I mean by that is like, if I'm not hungry, I'm not buying food. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, or, or let's say like, if I don't want that dopamine effect from junk food either, like if I'm not wanting that state, I don't buy something. I'm aspiring to get to a state that I get when I eat that food. So I'm going to buy that food. I'm going to buy socks because I have holes in my socks and I'd rather, I'm aspiring to not have holes in my socks. Like I'm not saying it's some massive aspiration, but it's some sort of, I want to change a state is why I purchase. So understanding what that change of state is that people want when they buy your product or service is super important because then all the other things you do, the way you market it, that informs a lot of it, but also the impact you have can also serve that. So for example, uh, and it really, like this also goes with how you create content around your brands. Like Red Bull is a great example of this. Like you buy a Red Bull because you want energy. All of their content is about having high energy, snowboarding, jumping out of space, et cetera, et cetera, you know, airplane racing, like it's high energy stuff. So when I think about high energy, I think about Red Bull. I don't know what their impact side is, honestly, but if it had to do with creating energy, it'd be really interesting. I don't think it is, but bringing energy to third world countries or something like that's, that would be a great messaging tool. And I think a lot of times people miss that. And so their impact falls on deaf ears because it's like, it's expected now. You're not special because you're, you're doing things for the world. You should be. It's, it's, it's for granted now. It doesn't mean it doesn't make me feel good when I buy and I hear, oh, part of my dollars I gave you went to help something. But also remember people are like, well, I can just fucking donate to charity if I wanted to. So it's not like this compelling thing to get someone to purchase, which is, I think, what people miss. It's not why people will buy your product, but it will make them feel a lot better after they buy and probably will help them come back or tell their friends. All right. Because like just as a for instance, um, I'm I'm a big car guy. I love cars. I love trucks. Yeah. And I personally think Subarus are some of the ugliest cars ever made. But now I have plenty of friends. They will not buy anything but. Subaru and they like the car and they love the mission statement and in all their commercials they talk about the mission statements behind the car so you know and so you know and like Bomba socks you know they're not the best socks in the world but (laughs) but they're changing they're helping change lives and people want to get behind that mission yep but if the socks absolutely sucked the mission wouldn't matter. Yeah, it's true. We know. I know Dave really well. They started Bombas. Yeah. We've known him. We've been friends for a long time. But uh, yeah, it's they. You know, it helped a lot. It also, frankly, those that helps your employee base a lot. Feels yeah. like they're making a difference. You know. Yeah. So now, okay, now talk to us because uh, I before we got on, I listened to a talk that you gave. I've listened to it two, three times already, <laughs> talking about how your brand and podcasting and what they have to do with each other. Please talk about that. Do you mean being on other podcasts or my own podcast? Well, being on other podcasts and also why a lot of brands should have their own podcast, like Draymond Green plays for the Golden State Warriors. His podcast is blowing up. He's making more money from podcasting than he's getting paid from the Warriors. I didn't realize that. Wow, good for him. Um, Yeah, I mean... Listen, monetizing the, the part you have to remember too, again, this goes back to the chasing the shiny object. Like for, I don't, I don't know what the stats are, but there is absurd amount of podcasts. So for yeah. every podcast that's making tons of money, there's, you know, millions that aren't. Um, yeah. But so I, I, so podcasting from a guest perspective is I'm constantly trying to, again, awareness. How do I get my name out there to new audiences and make sure that people know who I am, who Hawk Media is and being on podcasts with people that may reach a different audience than I have. And getting my name out there because again, if you have a good service or a good business, word of mouth is a big part. Even if your audience isn't necessarily my my customer, now they know about me. If someone says, "Hey, I need marketing help," they might say, "Go talk to Hawk. They'll do a free audit. Like they have all this stuff. It sounds interesting. I heard about it on a podcast." So getting it out there and just perpetuating that bigger and bigger audience is a great thing to do. Also, 
you invited me on, your audience listens to you, they trust you, now your trust comes to me. You've researched me, you've decided that you wanna have me as a guest. So there's a trust factor to that and a brand factor that's very powerful too. Um, in terms of having my own podcast, so I built my podcast, which is Hawk Talk, uh, because I've found that in my industry, um, I was getting to meet a lot of very powerful and successful people, not just in business, but like top athletes, top, uh, actually I have a, uh, two different military guys, a, t a top gun pilot, and then a Navy SEAL that have been on my podcast, um, top musicians, et cetera, et cetera. And there wasn't necessarily always like a business thing to do with them. Like they might not be hiring a marketing team or et cetera, but I had this awesome network and they, I was always fascinated by how people got where they were. How do you become, how do you end up going like the Navy SEAL I had, Brandon Webb went from a hippie parents to being a Navy SEAL and running sniper training for the SEALs. And it was like, how, how does that happen? So the sort of path and story I, I was interested in, I actually got these on so I could build more relationships with these people and, and, you know, they're not going to go grab coffee with me and tell me their life story. But if I have a podcast, they might come on. And then I realized there's an audience for that that probably wants to hear this. And over time, I realized the discussion of how you get to your aspiration, how you get to your goal, how you, whatever that goal is, is exactly what we're doing as a business, too. So the brand alignment of like, come to Hawk Media and we can help you on that path to success and that path to your goal is exactly aligned perfectly with the podcast as we're talking about all these different ways to get to your to success and to your goal. And that's. Again, thinking about how it aligns is super important. And, you know, one thing I love, like I, the, the, I'm an accidental podcaster. I just started doing this for shits and giggles. No. Um, but now it, it's morphed into what it is. I think now we're in like the top 0.5% in the world. But yes. the great thing I love about if I may not have $1,000 to go s sit with, you know, you, David Meltzer or Jeff Lerner, but I can invite you guys to come on the show yep. and ask you whatever I want. And I get exactly. to look at you. So it's kind of like getting a, a BS in business. Yeah. Um, no, so we're, we're doing it right now. So we have our venture fund and we realized we needed a better family office network. So my partner that runs our venture fund is starting a venture office, family office uh, podcast. Let's invite family office to come on the podcast, hear how they're managing their money, what thoughts they have on the economy, how they like to invest, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, if we do it weekly, we're meeting 52 family offices a year. That's impactful. I love it. Now, when you wrote your book, what was the impetus for writing your book? And so talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it was, you know, uh, it was a few things. I mean, it really got triggered by some uh, a, a guy basically put, saying, we, we'd love to put out a book with you. And, you know, we're a book marketing firm, et cetera. And I had thought about it many times, but I had given the same sort of talk about in, to, about marketing publicly and speaking hundreds of times, as well as constantly in our own company to our clients about how we look at marketing, what I just said on this, like the general framework of awareness, nurturing trust I'd talked about for years. And uh, I, so I, it was all, I had spoken about it constantly. It was all things I already knew. And I had never thought about the fact that a book, like I always hear about writer's block and, you know, I don't know what to put down. It's like, well, don't write that book from a nonfiction standpoint. Like you should write about things, you know, and this book took me no time to put together because it was all knowledge we already had. It was just like we had to put an outline together and then I filled it in. Like I actually just dictated the book like in a, it was about 30 minutes per chapter. We'd put the chapter topic on. I'd go on Zoom with my uh, with the marketing firm and I'd just talk about it for 30 minutes. He'd then edit it for me and we got it transcribed. Then he'd edit it. Then I'd edit it. And boom, you've got a chapter. Obviously, we did more edits later. But the point was this was all stuff I already knew. We were able to go in and do it real quick. And then we had this now, you know, book that's memorialized that now I give to all our employees as they join us. So they actually are on the same page with how we do marketing or our clients for the same reason. Now we can bridge the gap and then we know what we're talking about. We give it, you know, and now I, you know, it gets me speaking, it gets me out there and we've sold 25,000 copies of the book this year. And it's all around, you know, the idea of how do you build a marketing strategy and, it's, you know, my favorite review the first day it was on Amazon and the guy's taken it down since, which bums me out, but it was, it was, I don't get it. It's basically just modern marketing 101. It's like, no, that's, that's exactly what it's supposed to be. It's how should we look at marketing these days so that if I'm a business owner, I can look at my business and go, I, I understand what's happening here and I understand where the holes are. And so that was, that was the mission is to get it out there. And, you know, again, accessibility to great marketing. Now you can understand our marketing framework for 17 bucks. 
Yeah, like our book, uh, A Hero's Journey from, from Darkness to Light, hit number one twice on Amazon mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the addiction circles. Um, but, you know, I, w I was told, you know, you need to write a book well, first to get the word out about, you know, addiction, but also that the word author is short for the word authority. Yep. And once somebody says, you know, well, you know, talk about addiction. I say, I said it last night to my wife. I said, honey, I literally wrote the book on yeah. addiction. So, but, you know, so talk to us a little bit about that. You know, how much credence it gives to you once it's somebody seems that you are a published author, it lends a lot of credibility. Yeah, you know, that, you know, I will say I thought it would, but I think I had done other things to win that credibility already in hindsight. Um, I didn't see a jump in my credibility because of the book. I think people actually assumed I'd have a book. So I think yeah. my credibility, I've already got a big social following. I've already got, you know, a lot of accolades and press and Forbes 30 under 30, all these things that it, it can be a validator for someone that maybe hasn't been validated in other ways. But for me, I don't, I thought it, I, it frankly, that was the surprise being open about it is like, I thought it was going to actually create a lot more credibility and a lot more business development for us. That part didn't happen. It's still great to all be on the same page for lack of a better term and have that. I, I'm very happy we put the book out, but the credibility piece and the marketing piece that it created was actually a lot smaller than I expected. Okay. Now, so, and I love that. I loved your honesty about that. Yeah. Now, a lot of people, you know, I, I know a lot of my friends have businesses and I Google their businesses and they've been in business five years and have one review, <laughs> you know, or like, they don't, you know, I try to tell people, you know, you need social proof because if I say, you know, I'm great and I promote it on Facebook and I spend a thousand dollars. If Eric Uberman says I'm great, yep. it's worth 10 times whatever I said. Back to the third pillar, trust, third principle of marketing. <laughs> Please talk about building, you know, um, getting that, getting people that are credible yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier. That's the third-party validation thing. By the way, it doesn't necessarily only have to be credible. I got to be honest. Like, have you watched How I Met Your Mother, the show? Yes. So, you know, when Barney always goes into the bar and he's trying to get, Ted's trying to meet his wife and Barney's the guy that's comfortable talking to girls. And so he goes up to random girls all the time and goes, hey, have you met my friend Ted? You remember that part of the show? Yeah. It happens a lot. And it always works. And that's not uh, how do I put it? That's not just a TV show. That's how people work. You getting validated by a third party, regardless of if even I know the third party can work. That's why there's all these random unknown magazine, online magazines and stuff that write about entrepreneurs and this and that. Just by being validated by something that looks credible, creates credibility. So it, it really is. And that's part of it. People, we're social creatures. We look for other social cues like, oh, they have a friend. Well, that makes them that little bit more credible. If it's a, you know, one person sitting by themselves in alone in a bar, it's a little weird. If they're in a group of friends, immediately you trust it more because at least they're in a social dynamic. So those people were safe around them. So I can feel like I can be safe. So again, it goes back to survival mentalities, but same thing with businesses, same thing with all this stuff is like, yeah, third party validation from a trusted source definitely does more, but a third party validation period, you talk about reviews. Do you, do you read reviews when you go buy things sometimes? Now I've seemed to like every, t every time I go buy something, I, I, I read the reviews. Yeah. I don't, listen, I don't read the top reviews or the yeah. bottom reviews. I re read the ones in the middle. Yeah. Do you know any of those people? No. Exactly. Who knows? They could be made up. They yeah. could be bought. They could be anything. But just the fact that there are reviews that you can read helps you build your trust. That's the point. It's not, it doesn't necessarily have to come from a trusted source. Let's be real. Amazon reviews mean nothing. Google reviews mean nothing. My favorite thing with Google reviews is an example. I think we have, I don't know, 70, 80 reviews on Google as a company because like most of our clients are CEOs. They're not going and reviewing us on Google. We have to ask for it. And we've worked with 4,000 companies. We have 70 reviews. Okay. I think four of them are bad or five of them, something like that. And like two are actually like big scathing bad reviews. And we hear from clients all the time about those bad reviews, the two bad reviews that we really have, because not everyone reads the middle. Some people go straight to the bottom to see what was bad and it scares them off. And I'm like, out of 4,000 companies, we have two people that are pissed off. Like it's going to happen. You know, it's the world of Karens where like someone, we, and frankly, I can tell you those reviews are people that just didn't want to pay their bills and then got, you know, tried to get back at us by writing a bad review. So 
and it happens in 4,000 companies, a couple of people didn't want to pay their bills. Um, this is what's the funny thing about reviews that if you actually understand them, they're bullshit, mostly good and bad, because they're either enticed in some way, or there's someone that like, you know, it, it's, it's a very small cohort of people that go and write reviews regularly that tend to want to be more complaining than positive. That's why you usually see a lot of five stars, a lot of one stars, and maybe a few in the middle, because it's not really people writing reviews. They just want to be heard, good or bad. And most of the five stars I would, from experience, are enticed. They're, hey, would you mind writing a review for us if we've had good service? And it's you because generally people don't do that organically. So now, if you're a business or like, like for me, I'm a podcaster. I think we have over six hundred five star reviews. Uh -huh. But I, I, you know, when people come on the show, I'm like, if you had a great experience, would you mind leaving a review? And most people are like, sure. You know, yeah. but I think that's what I mean by enticed. You had to ask. Yeah, and if but if you ask not, you have not. Correct. And you know, and unfortunately, in certain like, with you know, if you're a podcaster, if you're on iTunes or if you're on Spotify, that kicks you up into the algorithm. And that kicks you up a little bit higher if you do have those written reviews better than just the, the stars reviews, you know? Yep. So my last couple questions is, if somebody was going to start a business today on the 16th of 2022, what three things would you do if you were going to start a business today with a small budget of, say, $1,000? I would put the money back in my pocket and go do some selling. Like spending $1,000 on marketing is a waste of money. Wait till you can spend $10,000 a month, actually. Um, and why I say that is your time at that point, if you're limited to $1,000, your time is your commodity, not your money. Your $1,000 doesn't buy you. It buys you half, half a month of a minimum wage worker. It's not, you're, you're not getting anywhere. So save the money because you might have a need for it. Something might come up. And work on, you spend your time grinding, go find ways to build partnerships and alignment with companies that are already reaching your audience. Go try to get some press or some influencers to post about you. Go try to get the flywheel started on your product. And again, if you have a good product or service, if someone buys it, it should inherently get them to, people will start talking about it and it'll start to organically grow. And you need to go drive that growth yourself. You need to go find channels. Part, again, it could be partnerships. If it's a product, you might want to go into retail. Maybe a store can carry you. You want, you know, you can put up your website and do all these things on your own and be scrappy about it. But, you know, people aren't going to go there. And I would not start spending money on traffic or advertising yet until you can really start spending consistently. Because if you go spend $1,000, you might get lucky. Generally, you won't. But you might get lucky and hit a vein and all of a sudden you've got some sales. Generally, you won't. You'll spend $1,000, but you haven't spent enough to actually test enough things, to try enough things to see what works and doesn't. And you have no money to follow on with it. So if it works or it doesn't, you don't know what to do next. And you, you're out of money. So I would wait till you have some stuff coming in and you have some consistency. That's either from raising money and getting financing or start bootstrapping your business and starting to make some profits. So then what kind of business would you want to start in 2022? I just did it. I just launched our software company. Um, I think so this, I mean, we could get into a long conversation about this, but there's a really interesting sort of uh, global economic shift happening where we aren't having replacement birth rate. So if the if population doesn't grow, I, I don't I'm not an economist, but it seems like it's hard to grow economies. If there's not more demand, more people need more things. We don't need more real estate. We don't need more services. We don't need more goods because we don't need more food because people don't need more food. We don't need more fuel because there's just as many people or less. So that becomes a really interesting thing where you also, what we're seeing right now in the market is this year is a recession. Like literally FedEx came out today and talked about missing their profit by half a billion dollars and that people aren't shipping anything because people aren't buying stuff. Like we're in a recession. But the thing that the, uh, the White House is talking about is employment's not low. What's like, and this is where it's fascinating, is you, you were in a state right now where employment's not low because there aren't enough people to do the jobs we need even to sustain because our, employ our, our uh, population is declining. People retired early because of COVID. Uh, we have no immigration. Immigration's been shut down and that's been a huge lifeblood of the sort of minimum wage worker for a long time. And so now we don't have enough people to take enough jobs, which is also causing inflation because then we have to pay higher rate wages to compete. 
which then the wages go up, the costs go up, everything goes up, and that's feeding into this inflation problem. And so that I think is going to perpetuate. I don't think that piece goes away because I don't think our our country is getting any friendlier about immigration. We're also getting less attractive to immigrants because we, you know, when we talk shit about immigrants over and over again, they go, well, shit, they don't want me there. Why am I, it's, you know, not give us whatever it says on the Statue of Liberty is not being followed by our policies anymore. And so the, uh, the problem with that is again, it will continue to be a, a sort of this labor market problem. And so I believe that's where software will continue to accelerate because you, when you don't need as many people to serve, to build your business, and you can build a business that doesn't run on people, then you're able to, you know, sustain that business. And so I would be looking at, yeah, low labor businesses for sure. I love it, Eric. So now last question I have for you, how do we find you? How do we support your book? I mean, how do we support your mission? Where do we get your book? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, if anyone needs marketing help, just hawkmedia.com. We'll do a free marketing audit for anyone. I'm on every social at or slash Eric Huberman. So hawkmedia.com for the marketing side, at or slash Eric Huberman. Then podcast is Hawk Talk. Book is Hawk Method, available pretty much everywhere. So, you know, and ha always happy to connect. I love it, Eric. And guys, make sure that when you when you go to find this stuff, it's H-A-W-K-E, yeah. not E and K is just so a lot of people might mistake that. So when you're going to look for his stuff, pick up his book. Um, I love the book. I love the book. I love the book. I think I'm on my third, my third iteration um, since we knew it, we were going to talk. So I want to say thank you. And Eric, I just want to say I'm so grateful and humbled for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. And guys, remember, make sure you reach out to him. And guys, make sure you smash that subscribe button. I love you guys. And remember. Vertical momentum, the only way to go is but up, and I will catch you guys tomorrow. Love you guys. Eric, have a great week, brother. Thank you. You too. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.